What's up, BTB listeners? This week's episode is a little bit different. Um, I work with an incredible nurse and we've gotten to know each other and become friends over the last little while. She's so supportive of just anybody she loves and she's such a positive person to have in, in your life. And Casey approached me wanting to do a get to know your host episode. And at first I was like, no, 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 that's not what I do. Um, no one really is, will be interested. And she said, people want to know who's behind the bedpan. You know, they want to know a little bit about the person they're listening to every week. So eventually I agreed. Um, and it was a lot of fun. We invited our friend Ryan to come on and help us because Casey was a little nervous hosting the show. And Ryan has his own podcast. He has a podcast called Life in Red, and it's really, really good. His most recent episode, I just finished listening to, and it's amazing. He interviews a woman in Toronto who is suffering from long COVID, and it's a really interesting story. So please go over to his podcast when you're done this one and check him out. This episode was a lot of fun. There was some drinks involved, and it was actually two hours long. I had to cut it down. So you may notice that sometimes the editing is just a little bit choppy. I did my best. Enjoy. Big Rig Brewery takes great pride in reinventing classic styles and crafting emerging ones using only quality ingredients. Be sure to visit their brewery in Canada at 103 Schneider Road for fresh pints, food, beers to go, brewery tours, and pinball. Visit their online shop at www.bigrigdelivery.ca for tasty beer mail, free local delivery in the Ottawa area, and free Ontario-wide delivery on orders $70 and up. Check out the description box for Beyond the Bedpan promo codes. Hi, friend. Oh, is it already being recorded? Yeah. Oh shit. We caught Hi. you. Caught Hi. in 4K. Cheers. You deserve it. Okay, so Casey wanted to do a get to know your host episode. So I feel like I feel uncomfortable. I feel like I'm on trial and I'm used to running this. The round table. So it's, it's I knew very that. difficult I, I was, to like step back. I was just saying to my friend, I was like, they're both hosts and they're both gonna want a host role. I'm just a listener, so I'll arbitrate when you both get like <laughs> no Casey, you're, no, leading Casey, this. you're this running your this. Oh yeah. Ryan, I am. Ryan's here for support and social socialization. I'm here. I've got I'm stacked for drinks. I've already had one. Here we go. Oh yeah. I just listened to Derek's episode and this sounded really great on the oh that does sound good. Eh? I'll do that too. I use the promo code too. That's a nice noise. That's a noise of like, that's the end of the day or lunchtime. <laughs> oh, well, not for us, but. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't have a, a daytime beer very much anymore. The summer more so like on the weekends. It's nice out. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So I was just thinking, cause as a listener, um, I know like Ryan, his first few episodes were really good at like introducing him and why he was doing it and obviously you've touched on that but um more just like uh this is me um because you have been highlighting a lot of awesome people on your podcast but um 
I know a little bit about you, but even in like texting you about this, I realize I don't actually know that much about you um, or your background. And to get to where you are right now, um, you had to go through a lot of different steps in nursing, but obviously also in life. So I kind of figured maybe we could get to know Christy. Yeah. Behind um, the bedpan. Yeah, that's me behind the bedpan. <laughs> I was behind um, the deadpan. The deadpan? Oh, well, like, that her humor? I mean, that too. <laughs> well, I want to say when you called it uh, BTB, I was like, I have an acronym? Oh my God. Like, I've oh. made it. I've made it. Yeah. I have an acronym. I think that's cool. <laughs> well, that's what do you want to know? Where do, where do we start? Um, well, where'd you go to school? Um, so I grew up in, in Ottawa. Um, mm-hmm around Maryville area. So I went to elementary school, middle school, and then a high school that doesn't exist anymore. Very, very small. It was the best. <laughs> there was only like 40 of us or so in our graduating class. It was really small. We were all really oh, good friends. Oh, that's smaller than me. Yeah, it was, it was the best. Um, so grew up local uh, and then I stayed local because my parents, um, they had a university fund for me. So very, very privileged. I got university paid for by my parents. Um, The deal was I had to stay home so I didn't have to pay rent or waste money on res or anything like that. So I went to Ottawa U. Um, I did not get in the first time because uh, shocker, I used to put socializing before school a little bit. Um, Not like super focused on grades and whatnot in high school, just like really wanted to party and hang out with my friends. So I didn't get in the first year, Um, worked, saved up, went back to, took some night classes and then got into nursing the the year after. Hey, but aren't you happy that you unintentionally delayed your university hardcore degree to have fun in retrospect? Yeah. Yeah, Like, would you do that again? In In a second. Yeah, in a second. And I would actually really recommend it too, because when you go from school to school and like things are different now, right? Like this was a long time ago, but when you go from school to school, you go, you miss out on that whole life experience in that first year. And I worked, so I I was a lifeguard and I worked the customer service desk at, at the Sportsplex in the the Nepean Sportsplex. And um, I just worked constantly. I, I made a crap ton of money partied a lot with my friends, you know, they all went to all my high school friends and us, some of us are still really close friends. And then some of us are more, we meet up like once a year and it's like, we had, we saw each other yesterday kind of thing. So we still like still partied a little bit. And, uh, I ended up going to Egypt (laughs) alone. Oh yeah. I was like, I made all this money. Yeah. I made all this money. Uh, I want to go do something. I'm going alone. And I, uh, I picked up like a travel brochure. So for those of you a little younger, there used to be these things called um, <laughs> magazines <laughs> where you would go to like a physical travel agency and book your trip. Very bizarre, I know. Um, hey, Ryan's a little baby, eh? In the group? No, I am the oldest person you. here. You always make it seem like you're so old. I am. No, I feel. I feel old. That should oh, be the, uh, the first question. How old are you? Uh, I'm going to be 36 in a couple of weeks. Okay. I also appreciate that you just answered that because I will never <laughs> understand when people lie about their age or like are upset about it. No. I listened to Ryan's episode with Barbie. Okay. Got to like reference that. It was so good. I do not understand why 
women hide their age and stuff. So kudos to you for just. Yeah, I don't get that either. I mean, I've taken care of a lot of people in the ICU who probably would have wished they got to their 36th birthday. So my my age means nothing to me. I'm happy to be 36. I'm happy to be here. Or like look at what's under your belt at 36, right? Like like what you've done in 36 years. Totally. I, age means nothing to me. People are like, oh, you're closer to 40. I'm like, cool. Yeah, cool. I'm going to be 40 one day. There's a lot of people who never made it that far who would give anything to make it that far. That's really profound uh, that you would say that. And, you know, that we, we focus so much on age, but then your perspective of dealing with people who never made it. Yeah. That's just like a very, you both said it so matter of factly, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like <laughs> me sitting here, not involved in that scene, I'm like, that's, that's really like, like, wow. You're right, because it's such a privilege to gain any sort of year when you really think about it. Yeah, totally. I've always looked at my age like that. Like, I've never feared getting older. What do they say yeah. about fine wine? Aging <laughs> like fine wine? <laughs> yeah. I've uh, I've not had the ICU experience that you've had. Depressing <laughs> to care for somebody like yeah. that that's not doing well. It, it kind of is. I mean, there there's nothing good about any loss that's unexpected or not necessary, but it's also the, the young ones hit, hit really hard because you know, all the things that they're missing out. And like, you're, you're able to disconnect into a certain point. Like I, when I first started in the ICU, I was pregnant with Hunter and I had like a, a young, a young girl come in, she's 18 or something, car accident. Um, and brain dead. Like we knew right away. So we were just waiting for her family to come. They were from out of town. And I was looking at her as like, you know, bed four. <laughs> That's what, like, I, yeah, I am a room I number person. Bad for that. Yeah, I'm a it's room like a number person. Name, a first name or a room number. No idea. Like yeah. never all three and that's awful. I know. It's not awful because you're still giving really good care, but you do have to separate yourself at some point to do really good care. And I remember her, her family came in and they were just so distraught and the you know her her sibling was throwing up all over the floor um and then her dad came up to me and wanted to show me her facebook photos and i was like mm, see i see, currently i see her as a body <laughs> and i've got a lot of stuff to do um as soon as he showed me those facebook photos it made her a person to me and then that was it that's mm-hmm. the first time actually that I came home crying. They say that you should do that. So um, I think, okay, so I just listened to your guys' other episode on, on Ryan's podcast on like Friday. Um, we were episode, about, might I add. I know. He doubted you. Second, <laughs> second longest, honey. Second longest. <laughs> yeah. And during our longest conversation, he said like, what's one of the things that, because everybody always asks like, what can I bring my family member in the hospital. Like I, I can't do anything for them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I can't even visit them during a pandemic. Like what can I give them or bring them or do that actually will help? Mm-hmm. And I've done all these like education and like in services and stuff. And they were saying a picture of what they looks like at their best or their happiest or with their family, or even just six months ago when they were doing well makes a dramatic difference for nursing care. And there's all these studies and it really depresses me to hear this, but I 
thousand percent know that I'm guilty of it, where it's like a bed number or a diagnosis or mm-hmm. uh, goals of care or a treatment. I'm like, this is my lady who has CBI. Like I don't call her Christy. I call her my lady in 63. <laughs> yeah. like, it, is, it is for sure like a dissociation thing. Like trying to compartmentalize but anyways they were saying like one of the main things is bringing in like tokens and stuff from home and pictures because there's direct correlation between like how much time nurses spend in the room which Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing something treatment wise which is usually why I'm in the room it just means I might be there to talk which actually patients value dramatically more yeah. Then they value me putting a catheter in, which is to me way more important, but to them is way more important if I just talk to them about their wedding photos that are in the room or their husband who's passed away or, you know, whatever it is. So when you say like you see, you know, 40 year olds or something that like makes them a person, that's rough. Like, I don't know how you dealt with ICU. I yeah. I didn't like, I didn't like seeing the, the Facebook photos. Like, I think there's a time and a place to get to know a patient a little bit more, yeah. um, personal, but for me at that time, it didn't change my care. You know, like when you only have one patient, you're um, giving them everything. Like they're getting their hair washed. Right. Like, and, and not with a cap, like you're getting a, a basin and a bucket and real shampoo and you're boosting up to the top of the bed and you're scrubbing their hair and then you're conditioning it you're braiding it and you're shaving their legs like that's the type of level of care that you have I mean pre-pandemic with when staffing was a little bit better that's the level of care that we at a lot of the time have time to give to our patients. So if I had seen them all, all dialed up, like that wouldn't change anything about my care there. But when they're awake, I can see that because I can see that you would relate and like, maybe you see a picture of their dog and you're like, Oh, like what, you know, what's your dog's name? How long have you had them? Whatever. So I think there's a little bit of a difference in my case, I need to dissociate from my patients. I like emotionally lost at that time when she became a person to me and I that sounds so cold but no nope. it's it's just coping Ryan comments I was gonna take the conversation we're gonna, we're gonna flip it right back there because that's very deep but before we go to school before we become a nurse we party our ass off we go to Egypt <laughs> how did we get alone from, my mom was not happy yeah that's <laughs> fucking terrifying yeah okay yeah how did we go from to that from that like, what was your experience as a kid? Did you always want to be a nurse? Was dealing with people you're calling? You know, how did Christy really get to be the person who decided Egypt alone was a great idea? I've always been kind of independent, I guess. That's why I went to Egypt alone. Um, you know, I'm I'm a, a later child. Um, my brother and sister are 15 and 12 and a half years older than me. So oh. I kind of grew up uh, as an only as an only child at home. Um, so I was very independent and I traveled a lot. Like my parents are immigrants. So they, they moved here from Scotland and they had my brother my sister and me in all three different continents. So I grew up traveling because my family was still in Scotland. So I think I was a year old on my first trip back there. And every four years or so, 
we went back. Um, my brother played professional soccer for Canada, and then he went back to uh, our hometown and played there for a little bit. So that was like frequent trips back and forth. Um, so I grew up traveling and then my parents liked to travel at that point, clearly, since they had had three kids on three different continents. <laughs> so because I was a late baby, they just had me and they dragged me everywhere with them. So I, I grew up, like when I say privileged, <laughs> like very, very fortunate. So I love that. So I was cool. very independent. Yeah. And some people look at, um, you know, now I, I get to know nurses and they're a little bit younger and, oh, you have kids. Oh, I like to travel. And I was like, well, I've done that. <laughs> I've been everywhere. Um, so, yeah. And I, I also liked along with that and being independent, I liked an adrenaline rush, which this also sounds really dark, but like working in the pools, you know, things would happen and I'd be the first one to jump in and be like the first responder. So I always knew I wanted to do something like that, but it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to be Florence Nightingale. It's because I liked adrenaline and I liked medicine and medical problems. So I always thought I was going to work at the children's hospital, which nope, 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 nope. Hard, hard pass. Hard pass. And you know what? It's because, because of the parents. Associate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so definitely not at the children's hospital. And then I always thought I would work in intensive care or emerge. And I had the opportunity to go both, you know, they were hiring on both sides and everyone just said, you'll never get vacation and emerge, go to ICU. And I went to ICU because of that statement. And I loved it, yeah. you know, and I, I like the organization of it. I've worked both um, you know, different shifts here and there. I used to, I used to pick up a lot of overtime and float a lot to emerge when I first started. And I liked it down there too. Um, but there's a sense of like just such leaving stuff beast, half, right? on, half done. What? That is, that is such a different beast. There's like two yeah. very, you know, they say like type A personalities and I don't know, it's type B even a saying, but like very different, mm -hmm. uh, like focuses, interests, whatever. And they are the polar opposites. I yeah. find. Well, so, so in emerge, you have like, you'd have a chart that you're half done and they'd be like, patients discharged is done. Just forget about it. Move on to the next one. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, I can't do that. No. But no. when they were saying just to do that, I'm like, Oh, okay. Like I'll, I'll leave it. But I, I was never comfortable with it. Whereas in, in the ICU, it's super meticulous and organized and it's uh it it was something I fell into and I was like yeah this is where I belong but it was a bit of a fluke why I ended up there you know it was just that that vacation <laughs> comment where they're like don't don't go down there if you if you want vacation for the next 20 years you have a better chance in ICU okay so I always hear you talking about like identifying as an ICU nurse which is great but I personally met you probably a few years ago I've yeah. been working for seven years, but I feel like I didn't get to know you until like three or four years ago. Um, I know you and you're currently working as a wound care nurse. Yeah. So what was that progression? Like, how did you go from ICU nurse to specialty nursing? There's like two of you in the hospital. Like, <laughs> um, I, I love wounds. Oh, I love wounds so much. Yeah, and so my first experience with it was when I was a brand new nurse, like maybe even still a new grad. Um, my mom had to go in for surgery and, uh, she, she just wasn't well after, you know, like, so she, she was sent home and she just wasn't doing well, you know, like the, her incision, it was the same as what a C-section scar looks like. 
um, it's really stinky and oh, oh, she's not mad at me. She listens to these. Sorry, mom. I mean, <laughs> Spilling all your secrets. Like, it's not her fault. So no, no. And she was yeah. just like, what do I do? What do I do? And I mean, I was brand new, like barely out of school. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. Cause also I was in medicine. So surgical wounds are not something that I saw a lot of to start with. So I, you know, I went with her to all her doctor's appointments. I was, I was so fascinated and uh, her doctor didn't even know what to do. Her, her GP, you know, I told him to pack it and I told him to pack it with like basic, basic packet. You know, I had no idea what to do, but I knew it needed to be packed. So she ended, they, they set her up with, you know, CCAC, sent her to clinic. They found out she was diabetic and that's why her wound wasn't healing. And it was the whole like background of like, or the investigation of why isn't this wound healing? You can pack a wound with anything you want. You could put peanut butter on your wound, but if you don't find the reason of why it's open, that's what I love about it is it's this like background investigation. There's stuff that I've found in somebody's chart from like years ago where I've been like, oh, have you guys looked into that? Have you tested it for that? Is this reoccurring? I mean, I've told you, Casey, the amount of times I've been like, that's herpes, you know, when they, they've gone on for years and years with this chronic wound in, yeah. in around their genitals. And I'm like, what's herpes, you know, I can't or, fix that. I'm good, just, but I can't fix like, herpes. Oh, yeah. Did they do this? Did they do that? And I'm like, oh, yeah. um, no, <laughs> yeah. like, well, I didn't, you don't always put stuff together. Like it's so hard to see holistic. You clearly. Yes, exactly. And do. that's my job is like, to I check the I entire chart. Finding that, how to heal that wound really inspired me. I thought it was super cool. The whole investigation to it. And then, um, the floor that I worked on, we didn't have a lot of of major, major dressings. And I became really good at them because I really liked them. So I was always assigned the patients with the big dressing changes. And, um, you know, when I went to ICU, it was still something in the back of my mind. And when I, after I had my son, I knew I had a lot of problems like mentally after I had my, my kids. And I just knew like, I couldn't do shift work anymore. It just wasn't working for my family. Um, and then I was literally going through the job board every day and I was like, Hey, what's Monday to Friday? What's Monday to Friday? What's Monday to Friday? And, uh, a good friend of mine who I went to university with her name's Steph. She was on the wound anostomy team. And I was like, Oh man, like I, there's one of you at one campus, one of you at the other, like, this is the only thing I'm super passionate about. Maybe palliative care was like my second choice. Um, but I don't know, I'm never going to get a job on the team. There's only two of you. And she was like, no, no, like I'm thinking of having a baby. I'm going to go do my master's. I'm going to go part-time after this. And then I talked to the other girl and she was like, yeah, I'm looking to move on to a more um, like specialized field. There's a position being created for me. I'm going to be leaving the team. Like now's a really good time. So I applied for the course like that day. I like wrote my letter. I got my references. Like I applied for it immediately. I got in and then I got pregnant with my daughter. So I deferred it for a year and I, I ended up pursuing that. And, and that's how I got there. So it is a huge passion. What a neat field. Like, like you said, you get to see the whole picture. You get to mm -hmm. get into the nitty gritty, but also like the bigger picture. And people don't see that I see the bigger picture, you know? So for a nurse on the floor, 
I come in, I have a look, I take a picture. Yeah, I you mean, take my, my beautiful dressing off. <laughs> Only if it's due, Casey. I'm really good at not coming if it's not due. <laughs> um, but I, I come in, I take a picture, I poke around a little bit, and then I go back to my office. And that's where that's where all my investigative work is done. And my phone calls, yelling at surgeons. And, <laughs> and so, okay. yeah, it's like a really big deep dive into their entire case. And then we have like one of the my coworkers also works in the community. So she often knows a lot of these patients from home care, too. So we have really like the whole picture. I kind of like, I don't have a bulletin board on the wall with string and pins, you know, like they do on these police shows and stuff, but like, that's how I feel. <laughs> that meme. Yeah. What that's is that a from? Meme. Uh, uh, it's the guy from it's all. Yeah. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. What's his name again? I don't remember. Charlie Day. Charlie Day. You mentioned something that I'm not going to let you gloss over. Cause I think it's important. Uh, you mentioned you had, um, you know, you were mentally feeling, I don't know how you even referenced it, but uh, after your first child and then you realize shift work wouldn't be the thing or wouldn't be the right Mm. for you and your family. Um, I know that's a difficult question to answer sometimes, um, but are you willing to kind of go into that process after you had your first child? Because I know on my podcast, that's something I've talked about a few times about uh, moms and working and postpartum depression um yeah I had postpartum depression for sure but I didn't realize it at the time mm-hmm. and um not like so generationally speaking that's kind of been a in the past a suck it up it's fine everyone goes through this get on with it kind of thing and that's kind of how I felt you know I talked talk to you about growing up and how I was very independent and part of that was me feeling like I should be able to handle anything and no one told me to feel that way. This is just how I felt. I don't know if I just wasn't surrounding myself in the circles that where people were talking about it, but the circles around mommy culture, which is horrible. This is this is a horrible, horrible thing. That's, I've actually that is, only heard that term, so you'll have to enlighten us. Ryan actually mentioned it. And I what that's the culture? first time, yeah, on his podcast. Weird niche, last week. Ryan, weird niche. Were you not listening? <laughs> I was, I just, so, why do you know? Cause I'm, I'm a curious boy. I'm a curious. Explain boy. mommy culture, right? So mommy oh culture. Is, mansplain the, it for us. The, it's like, yeah, I'm going to mansplain it to you all. Great. But really it's like the, the term center around centers around the idea that moms know best. Right. And we're seeing that play out right now in anti-vax uh, wellness circles uh, and when I brought up on my podcast, the point I brought up was that everyone thinks like the anti-vax person, when you think of that as like a, a person, it's like a 50-year-old man, right? Who's just on his keyboard, angry. No, it's a 42-year-old white woman who votes liberal. And it's this okay. idea that it's wellness. We know what to put our, in our kids' bodies. Uh, we know better than doctors and scientists than it doesn't even have to be health related, right? We know better than the teachers. We know better than the hockey coach. Yeah. And they're, they're selling you essential oils. Yeah. Or MLMs I, and- I live healthy enough and I don't let GMO enter my child's body. So they're not going to get COVID either. Exactly. And we were talking about my mom starting a daycare and like having these moms being like, 
um, can only be on. Well, like, you should really do this. You can't you actually really feed them gluten between 10 and 2, and they need to sleep at 9.45 sharp. Like, all this is, like, ridiculous behavior. Uh, and it's, it's become judgmental. toxic. It's judgmental, and, and it's it's a way of, like, it's the mean girls that were in high school who are now mm. in the mommy world. But the only access they have to you is your social media, and you, like, allow that into your lives. And that's why, like, I left all the, all the groups. Yeah, I left every group. And that's why today when my friend came to drop off the rapid test for me, um, she was like, oh, there's this stuff on, on this mom group. And I was like, didn't see it because I left it. Like, I can't watch that stuff anymore. So my, like, first experience to it where I didn't know what it was, um, I had a hard time with my son. So he came three weeks early, wasn't expecting that. Um, he was three weeks early, three babies who are three weeks early, not super easy, you know, like not latching. And I felt so pressured to breastfeed. And now I will admit, I, I learned to love it. <laughs> I don't know if I should have learned to love it, but I ended up, I ended up, that was my choice to follow through with it in the end. And I did it with all three of my kids, but the judgment around it is bullshit. And there was this Why? girl, I know she doesn't listen to my podcast. Her ex-husband might, but they might hear this. And it's <laughs> defi- definitely about that. <laughs> and it wasn't like, it wasn't malicious. You know, so they didn't do anything. Somebody on a podcast. Cute. Sorry. They didn't do anything on purpose, but they had their baby five days before I had mine. And the constant comparison. So their baby mm. was 10 days overdue. So like super healthy. My baby was three weeks early, plus me not going. <laughs> and she seemed like this was just so fucking easy. You know, she had a C-section, was bouncing around, everything's fine. And um, we're so happy. Our baby is perfect. This is easy. And I was like, what? And then I had mentioned like a couple of times wanting to do a bottle. And she, she just made me feel so fucking guilty. And that's the worst part is I was never, I, at that point was not doing things for me. I was doing things to fit in with mommy culture. And if you were to ever ask me like things I would go back and do differently, this is the type of stuff, but like, I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't have anyone else who had a baby around me. Like I was the first one out of all my friends to have one. So it was like, it was really tough. And, you know, she lived across the street and it was just like these, these Facebook messages back and forth of, oh, well, you know, mine's sleeping really well through the night. How's Hunter sleeping? And I was like, he's not. So thank you. Like, clearly I'm a terrible mom. I'm really glad you asked. Yeah. Thanks for asking. And then like one of these really stupid things, cause now I know that it just doesn't matter. We didn't like do baby photos. <laughs> and then she did baby photos and was like, Oh my God, how can you like not capture these beautiful memories? And I was like, oh, fuck, like, do I need to do baby photos? And like, we didn't have a lot of money at the time. And I was like, Oh my God, these photographers at home are like a few hundred bucks. So we went to Sears. So yeah, like we went to Sears it was a horrible experience. I'm leaving in tears. And then like, Oh, it was just so fucking stupid. All of it was so stupid. And Anyways, they when did up- you find out or when did you realize? Cause that seems like every mom's experience. Like I have, I 
have not experienced that in my life. I've only experienced as a third party mm-hmm. observer. And it seems like every single mother, newest mother's so first concern is like obviously baby and how baby is fitting into the family and more often than not how baby is not fitting into the family yeah um or your <laughs> routine um and then so so now that postpartum depression is in the lexicon of our generation and people who are having children now I feel like people keep an eye out for it, but when you were having kids, like I, I think maybe like maybe people knew about it, but nobody wanted to admit that I had it. So yeah, exactly. like I know Ryan and I are of the generation where like he was brave to admit he had depression, but like younger kids know you're like, yeah, cool. I had a little bout of postpartum. I had a little bout of depression. Like you, did you get diagnosed or like, are you just kind of realizing that now? Or I never got diagnosed with postpartum depression. Um, but so, uh, someone I know came out about her postpartum depression on social media and like really honestly, and I was pregnant with Nora at the time. And I remember reading her story and I was like, holy shit, like this was me. And I, I got kind of put into a corner when I had Hunter because Ryan at the time was with the military. So he got posted to Kingston and he was there for four months. Was it four months? He was there for a while. He was only home on the weekends. I had to get my shit together because I had no choice. Like I, it was just going to be me and, and Hunter and we weren't bonding um, you know, he definitely, he could smell my fear <laughs> fair enough. And, uh, yeah. and we just like, he was the thing that I didn't get to sleep until 10 anymore for. And every time you get up at seven, I was like, well, what the fuck is this? Like, I don't, I didn't, I want to sleep in. Like, why are you not sleeping in? And he's a baby. They don't do that. You resented him. I did. I resented him and we weren't bonding. And, uh, you know, before Ryan left, I'd go to my parents' house And I would stay there until I knew Ryan would be home from work if I got, if, when I went home. So I was like putting, I would wake up, have something to eat, put the baby in his car seat, drive to my parents, stay there until I knew Ryan would be home from work. Cause I was like, can't be alone with him. I don't, I don't, what am I going to do? What am I going to do all day with him? And my mom was, she would just like, she just take them and same with my dad, you know, and they just, they just helped me. My mom would make me tea and she'd make me food and she took care of me. And like, I needed that. So, and she didn't even know she was doing it. I bet at the time, like she still does it. Like I've got three bowls of food in my fridge that my mom dropped off on my porch the other day. <laughs> like she still does it, you know? So she was taking care of me and then she was helping with him and I wasn't alone with him and I didn't feel uncomfortable and that was a nice thing to do but as soon as they as Ryan was leaving for the full week they stayed over on Wednesday nights to like break up my night and so I just could you know go meet a friend or have some adult interaction and I really had to like step it up I was like hey I I don't have a choice right now like I'm the only parent here for from Monday to Friday or from like Sunday night to Friday night so yeah, I had no choice, but that that wasn't ideal either because I didn't deal with it. And then this girl Kelly came out with her experience, and I I was so uh, inspired by her. I and I messaged her. I was like, "Tell me more. I need to know more because I think this is what I had." 
so when I got pregnant with Nora, I told all the doctors, you know, my OB at the time, I was like, I think I had, you know, I was never diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure I had postpartum depression with Hunter. And this is what happened. She's like, yeah, this sounds like it. Like, we'll be, we'll be really aware. We'll watch you a little closer. And, uh, when I had Nora, it was just a completely different experience. I was really happy. I had, a a really fast delivery. Like I was only, I delivered her with my shoes on. I was only at the hospital for 18 minutes. Oh my God. Um, yeah. She was born on her due date. And, um, this is a really nice experience. Like we didn't know if she was a girl or a boy. So when she, you know, she came out, my husband was like, it's a Nora. <laughs> and it was just, uh, it was different, you know, like a celebration, like yeah. not, a surprise, a su- not a surprise party, a planned party. Yeah, it was, it was really different and I felt really good. Like I, I didn't, it was not by choice. I wanted an epidural. I did not get one because it was all so fast. Um, but I recovered really quick and I, I felt great, you know, and she was three weeks more developed than Hunter was. She latched on immediately. She was a great eater. Um, she was a great sleeper. She just a really easy baby. And I was, I was just aware of it. And then the same thing when I had my third, I was like, you know, I, I've had these issues in the past and all these things and they were, I was just watching for it. But, you know, even though I maybe wasn't like in full fledged postpartum depression mode with the older two, the lingering from the first was still there and you lose yourself and you forget who you are as a person and as an individual and kids, kids need to look up to you, you know, and they need to see that you're like this badass fucking mom. Like my kids think my podcasting is so cool. They, they love it. Aww. And that's something that like I do for me, well, you know, do they know you just casually went to Egypt? Like I, we they didn't know I casually went like, to Egypt. You're traveling, but I know if I found, like I found <laughs> out my dad had a motorcycle and I was like, what you like, you've always been 60. What are you talking about? Like, there's yeah. no way you like went to pride parades like you're 60 what yeah, like, dad <laughs> the, yeah. the realization and I don't know when it came I was talking about this with somebody on my podcast a couple episodes ago whenever it was when you realize that your parents are not just your parents they are people mm-hmm. like your Barbie. mother is a woman with all those sorts of things thank you Casey <laughs> <laughs> um and uh like my dad is a man with like it's just it's such a weird experience to realize that they're actually humans and not just yeah. the parents who are supposed to take care of you. But so my parents have this thing now and they, they love our generation. And I find that so cool. And my, my dad opened up a little bit about it. He was like, we just never talked about stuff like that. And yeah. it just wasn't part of, part of what we did. And it's, it's not what we learned either. And it's not how we were raised. So you go by your example. And my parents are, are very like, I don't want to say hippie because like, they're not like long haired glasses. They don't smoke weed, but they're really, really open-minded, but from a closed minded background. So, you Mm. know, like my mom saw the Beatles, like third row, you know, like she, they, they're that kind of cool in between generation where they're coming from a really, really strict background but wanted to be more, uh, you know, liberal and loose and whatever. So they see me like super outspoken and and mouthy. (laughs) They see me like, and all of us like super, 
like mouthy and outspoken and just like not putting up with any shit. And they kind of admire it because that's the type of, I think, stance that they wanted to take, but they didn't have the culture at the time to do it. How I feel about 20 year olds or whatever. I'm like, I could never, and you're scaring me, but (laughs) go off. Go off. Like, I like be an asshole to people who deserve to be an asshole. Like, I can't do it. I don't know if it's a generational thing or a personal thing, but I know our age group would never speak to like authority figures the way that they do. But I'm sure our our parents said the same thing about us, right? Like, oh, I still would like never speak back to my dad. Never. Oh Oh my God. Never. Um, (laughs) I guess no. Yeah little bit if uh, it's like a, it, an adult to adult way not <laughs> um so your parents are still here in Ottawa but your yeah. family is like all around the globe or something? everywhere yeah so yeah. my my brother so he was born in Australia and uh they so. moved so, so my parents moved from Scotland to they had my sister there they got married had my sister and then they moved to Australia for work for my dad in the seventies. And they had a deal. Cause at the time, like there's no text messaging, rare phone calls. Like the communication was really nil. Right. So they had a deal and my mom was younger. She was only like 19. And they said, if one of us is homesick, no questions asked, we go home. And they went to Australia. My dad had a good job. They had my brother and my mom really settled in and she was who they thought would get homesick and want to go back home. And it was my dad. My dad was, had a really close friendship with his dad and he, they, he really, really missed him. So he said, I want to go home. I'm homesick. And they spent the next year saving up for the ticket. Um, no visas, (laughs) like got to actually save the money. And what my dad said when he was leaving, he saw they in that year where they were saving around their money, they made all these friends and they all came to see them off at the airport, waved goodbye. And my dad said, I'm making a mistake, but like, what can you do? Right? Like you're at the airport, like this isn't friends and Ross and Rachel, where you don't get on the plane. Like you get on the fucking plane. <laughs> you paid a lot of money. Everyone's <laughs> expecting you to be home. You get on the plane, but he still, yeah. he still is like, that was probably if I was to think of one mistake in my life, like that was probably, it was leaving there. And he just got homesick and, you know, he, they went back to Scotland. They realized how tough it was to live and make any money there. You know, there a, a dollar left before the next paycheck because it was just really oh, tough yeah. at that time. And my mom said, we got it. We got to go find a job. I don't care where it is. Find a job. And there was like between England, the U S and Canada, and they liked the healthcare system in Canada. So they, they came here. And their plan was well, always to keep going up for healthcare system in Canada, right? Um, <laughs> full circle. And yeah. their plan was to always go back to Australia, and it, it just never happened. Like my brother ended up moving back. He he got a job transfer, and he had always wanted to go back. And he he met his wife, and she was Thai, and she didn't want to come to Canada because it's cold. So he was like, "Well, I'm technically an Australian citizen, so I'm let's move back." And that's um. That's kind of what my parents do now. They, they, well, pre-pandemic is they're here and then like for the nice weather and then they go to Australia where there's nice weather. And I've been there four or five times. 
I also enjoy visiting Australia. It's a long flight, but yeah. My, Did you my brothers, enjoy it in 2020 or? Uh, it was was an interesting time to travel for sure. <laughs> he it, it's a long flight, and but he's at the gate at the end, and he's got two kids now, oh. and it's it's really nice, and it's a it's a nice place to visit. Although he's really on my case now, he's like, you got you got to come, and I'm like, like I'm not traveling anywhere. <laughs> so. And then you were talking about people doing crazy things to get time off work. If you come back and you're forced two weeks on paid vacation, I mean, unpaid, that's the key word, man. So I'll go visit your brother. There you go. <laughs> you, you mentioned your parents think it's really cool that, you know, our generation is outspoken and something I've noticed about you um, I mean, we've talked about you being a nurse, but more recently in the last, I guess it's been a year, I was going to say six months, but I mean, the better part of this year, you've been more of an outspoken advocate for nurses and healthcare workers and uh, mental health and, you know, politics, all that stuff. And you've been doing news interviews, podcasts. Why? What the hell? Like, that's scary that you're putting <laughs> yourself out there. You got enough shit to worry about. We're in a pandemic. Uh, you got a family. Why start speaking about these issues? Why start stirring the pot? Yeah. Why, why do you, you said you wouldn't talk back to your dad, but you'll talk back to the government. Well, yeah, they're not my dad. I'm going to talk back to my dad. Um, I mean, this, the pot needs to be stirred, I guess. Like, so I was really inspired by Alicia. And when I went back to ICU, I saw, you know, I saw a lot of her, her interviews and I was like, oh, that's, good for you. And then she messaged me one day, she was working and I was off and she was like, can you uh, talk to this guy? And I was like, I don't know, man, like I can, I'm not like, I don't have a great filter. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the right person to do this. And she was like, I said, am I even allowed? And I, I emailed my manager in the ICU and the CCL and they got back to me and they were like, yeah, sometimes this happens. Like we can't stop you from talking to the media. And they gave me the, uh, and this is from management, right? So then they gave me the contact person for a PR representative at our work. And I emailed her, she emailed me back right away. We talked on the phone and she gave me tips. She was like, this is okay. But like, so just to be clear, like you are representing yourself, you're not representing the hospital. So don't speak as if you're representing the hospital. Um, and then the rest of the tips, I thought it was all gonna be like political and it was like, lighting and uh makeup shine like it was like pers personal advice you know so I was like holy shit like I'm allowed to do this I never thought I'd, I was allowed to do this no one it was kind of taboo right so then oh, it's like so like it's so awkward I told my friends I was talking to Ryan about nursing they're like well what are you saying it's but, so awkward it's but not none of thing, it is a, like yeah. God can go on and chat away and good for him. He totally should. But like, he can say his opinions. He can say what we're doing. He can talk about whatever, because. Cause he's not employed by the hospital. Exactly. Do doctor staff doctors are, are contracted in. So, and I am employed by the hospital, but I don't represent the hospital when I'm speaking. And right. I, I always I on, say that way too many times. Yeah. And I also, I also don't say anything bad about the actual hospital. The hospital 
personally, and maybe people disagree, the hospital is not someone who I have a problem with. I recognize that their hands are tied by certain things. It's, it's the government <laughs> and Doug Ford that I have a problem with. So and individuals and individuals. And my whole reason I have a problem with it is because it affects patient care. Like I want patient care to be good. I want things to get better. So I'm not, and I, I don't think don't I've ever be depressed every day of my life. Exactly. And I also like, that's why on the podcast, I've talked to a lot of patients to get their experience seen too, because yeah. Okay. Like nurses can say, can say what we want. And our stories a lot, mostly are this like go along the same narrative, but let's flip the page and let's see what the actual patients have to say, because that's a little bit more relatable for the public. So for, you know, the handful of people who listen, who are not nurses, they might actually really empathize with a patient and their experience opposed to like what we were saying, because then they might put themselves in the patient's shoes and they might be like, oh my God, like this could be me. And that's how, what's going to happen to me. So that's kind of the approach I took on it. And I just like, it's not a negative approach. I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about any organization. I'm not saying anything bad about any specific nurses, any specific roles. I'm, I feel like I'm more t- uh, raising awareness. So that's what I'm trying to do because the polls aren't looking super promising <laughs> right now. You know, like the, the conservative government is still conservative. I, I don't even have words. Like I, I have no idea how they're leading, but they they're leading. And we just, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to do something. And I saw, um, I saw, you know, the nurses, nurse with signs, Nancy in, in Toronto. And I messaged her privately. And to be honest, I never thought she'd get back to me. And she replied to me immediately. And we were talking, we, you know, we've had zoom calls and stuff and she is doing everything she can in Toronto. So I was like, I, I gotta do something in Ottawa. And I definitely don't have the same, uh, you know, level of, of followers or fans or, or whatnot as she does yet. Um, but I still feel good about my part for the healthcare system because I just, I feel like I'm doing something and I have, I have the experience, I have the experience I have and I have a voice and I'm happy to use it. And that's what I'm doing. Do you also feel, um, so we were talking about your current role is a wound care nurse and you do work like alone a lot of the time. Um, I work on a unit where there is, it's very, very teamwork heavy. Um, I immediately, when you said something about a podcast, I was like, fucking go off. I have so many people I think you should talk to. I have so many things I think you should say. I have so many things I would love to say, Mm -hmm. you know, daily rants, whatever. I'm always talking to Ryan about like (laughs) bullshit, but I hundred percent don't feel like, like, I think that as a teamwork uh, type nurse, like, and not saying you're not teamwork type nurse, but you don't have like immediate, um, hundred percenters or honey peas as we call them or whatever. I feel like if I'm speaking for myself, they're also going to be like, yeah, I don't agree with her or like she needs to calm down or, you know, it's bad, but it's not that bad. Or, you know, whatever it may be. I feel like I feel very awkward working on with a lot of people speaking up for nursing and it's super not common. And it's, uh, 
I mean, my unit, I don't find very catty, but I know you've spoke to it before where uh, nursing can be very clicky, can be Mm -hmm. very, and stereotypically, like I don't love gender roles, whatever, but it is what it is. And it's very female dominated. And that often comes with popular girl syndrome, whatever Mm -hmm. you're calling it in high school, um, where people maybe don't like what you said on the podcast and feel like, you know, I'm not going to support her in this and it's awkward. So do you feel like maybe because of your current role, like that helps you feel confident in this sector? So yes and no. I feel, I feel like working a little more solo probably just means that I'm not hearing it as much as Mm. you would hear it. I, I, I'm not hearing it. (laughs) About you. Like well, any. that's nice to clarify. Um, but you know, I'm not forcing anyone to listen to this and I'm not forcing anyone to pay attention. So if they want to, you know, follow, follow the social media accounts and if they want to listen to the podcast, then if they don't like the content, then, you know, that that's their problem. If, if they're listening to something yeah, that they're not unfollow. happy with, that, that's all, that's all them. Um, but I actually feel it might be a little bit of the opposite where I, I could be judged as a little bit more because some people don't know me. Um, and because mm-hmm. a, a consult yeah. nurse can sometimes be perceived as um, they don't know what it's like to be at the bedside. They don't know what it's work, like to work shift work. And that's, it's just, in my case, it's just not true. Um, I'm not doing it currently, but that doesn't mean I haven't done it. And that doesn't mean that I can't relate to it. And I try very hard to um, respect the bedside because I, I do come in, you know, in, in clothes and and cute little boots with heels and a little lab <laughs> coat. And, you know, I could come across as a little pretentious and just strolling in, taking a photo and leaving. But we're like, what the fuck are you doing with my job? But I, I really try and like understand the workload and, and accommodate the nurses as best as possible. And, you know, me, I've gone back to ICU a few times, you know, like I went back two summers ago and I went back in the, in the spring and, you know, if, if a temporary position was to come up again, like I do like bouncing back and forth. Cause it does, it keeps sure. me, uh, it keeps me honest and it you're, keeps, uh, it gets my spread. Yeah. It keeps my street cred there, <laughs> but I can see if people didn't know that background of me, they could be like, sure. why is she speaking up? She's speaking up. She doesn't know what we're talking, what we're dealing with. She doesn't know what we're talking about, but you know, I, I do, I do get it. And what better person to have a voice who, uh, who's off on evenings and weekends and has a little bit more time to do it. So for a 10 minute wrap up, we're all going to say our summary of getting to know Christy and what we think getting to know Christy is. So hold on, I have a a question before we get to that point. Okay. Okay. I just want to say that um, one of your very first more than a mom post was uh, a, a bikini picture that you didn't like of yeah. yourself but that you loved because I think you were holding up your kid or something it was like very joyful yeah. it was a very beautiful photo if things were different and cellulite didn't exist which um fuck all of you it does to every does. single person normal it's every skinny bitch in the whole world has cellulite it's not a thing so I really love that I think that's one of the first things you posted and the first ways you kind of like open yourself up to being vulnerable yeah and like 
oh my God, a whole other issue, like a whole other episode could be all my body image, <laughs> like insecurities, I mean, but bro, like it's becoming comfortable with yourself. Wait, yeah. It's becoming comfortable with yourself. And my friend took that photo of me and I really appreciate that, appreciated that she did that, you know, because we were camping and I, I posted like a little photo dump of our camping trip and, uh, yeah, which obviously ended in a tow truck and a COVID test. Yeah, because <laughs> clearly, because it's me. What are you thinking? <laughs> and you know, I left that photo out, and then I, you know, as I was looking at stuff, I was like, no, oh, like I, sh- I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that, like, because I was having like was I need really to look cute. at. Yeah, I think you. you. Objectively, obviously, not just saying this because I know you. The first thing I looked at was you smiling with your baby. Yeah, but then read the caption and of course I was like oh there is cellulite there okay yeah fuck me as if I don't have cellulite nobody cares nobody cares because every everyone's looking at themselves they're not looking at you (laughs) nobody who you should care about cares yeah you know the other day like I mean so the other day I oh he'll kill me for saying this too but my husband was like oh I'm not not like in the the shape that I want to be in and I was like but I love how you look right now and you're really attractive to me <laughs> and then he said the same thing to me. He was like, I love your body. And I I think I'm really attracted to you. And I was like, Yeah. And then, you know, my kids sat down on me and they like to cuddle in and they they don't care and they just love me. And yeah. No. But but people's bodies just don't need to be talked about at all. And how I chose I at all. And how I chose to start looking at my photos of anything I was doing was how much fun was I having and, and enjoying that moment? Yeah. And that's what I want to share. Or is it real? Is it yeah. like a real picture? Yeah. Like- and my photos are so, there's so rarely a photo taken like of a distance with me because like my husband's not like his cyber stuff is his job. So when he's home, like he's, uh, he has like a outdated cell phone. God. No, I, he like, he that shares my podcast wonder. stuff mostly because I tell him to, um, he does the week in review with me and that's about it. You know, like Dude, he, your husband's supportive as fuck. Y'all were <laughs> talking about me being supportive. Your you, you made one comment about me. Your husband followed me on everything. Oh, uh, so he, he loves that you read. He re- my husband's a huge reader. I know. And, yeah. about it. He was going to my book club, but it's for women only. That's fair. Yeah, he gets that. You know, he's just taking up crocheting. Oh, shut the fuck up. Yeah. So he's just made um he's made a doll a blanket for my daughter's dolly. <laughs> what the fuck? But he like so he, he snacks like in the my evening. dad. He sounds like so I think the reason why I may identify with him is like, you know, when um like stereotypes, whatever. I look at my family like that is not a thing. But <laughs> okay, so Ryan. 8,000 years ago, you're like, no, before we do a week in review, I need to ask a question. And then I think we should do like your Christy <laughs> week in review slash what each of us think meeting the host of this is. And you can timestamp what like get to know your host actually is. And, but actually it's like, uh, tangents. That's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It's That's just all tangents. tangents. No, no story went finished. <laughs> Oh, but then they <laughs> yeah, it is good. Before. I love that because it, it's natural and it flows. It was perfect. And I didn't yeah. feel like I was on trial. Ryan's too professional for us, Christy. I'm sorry. I know. It's almost like he has like 150 episodes under his belt or something. 
Oh my God. And he's kind of, he's like low key TikTok famous. And um, yeah, we, for dancing naked. <laughs> that was my most viral video. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't watch it. I was like, I'm uncomfortable. It made me very uncomfortable because I know you. I was like, oh, what are you doing? What? <laughs> um, I saw the comments. I was like, look at you. Go, boy. Yeah, go. I, got, I got gassed up a lot in yeah, that video. Go for it. Um, yeah, oh, I'm okay. a sad, lonely boy on TikTok. And I have my my ratio is like 93% women followers. Yeah, but how you do you know that? There's a bunch uh, of random people that follow me. I have a creator profile, so I can same with Instagram. Oh. Like I can see my analytics. I can see that on Instagram, but I don't know how to look at that okay. on TikTok because you two I run my social media. I was and I haven't say, that why did yet. you come to me? I don't know why you came to me. You came to me for my contacts. You didn't come for me. Um, I know I did. I, I was like, Casey seems to know what she's doing. No, look, I, I, I also wearing... work in social media. So All right, Ryan, that. wrap this up because we gotta go. Yeah. This is so long. I'm sorry. Have fun <laughs> editing this. Um, but I just, I That's wanted to. That's Ryan's um, problem. I section. Want, uh, there's a question I had and it, it was going to tie back into something we were talking about, but we were talking about being vulnerable. You started the blog right. to be a more open and honest. You started this podcast and public speaking more about being honest. How did you really start to discover this part of yourself with, with the self-discovery and then not only that, but like self-acceptance, like, is it therapy? Is it just like, kind of like your own sort of personal growth is a little bit of everything. What, what sort of like happened there? So, okay. I will sacrifice time for this answer because I think it's important. I, I had, no, no, no. I'm going to answer it. I'm going to answer it. I, I, I had a shift. So I had wanted to start, I actually wanted to write a book but like super complicated. Oh my God, please and I, I am going to, but it's a, it's a lot of work. My mom so, said that from the dawn of time and nothing she regrets more in her life than not actually writing those books. And I want to, but the problem is that that's really time consuming and it takes a long time to get out there. And at this point in time, write your I, head had, down. I had stuff to talk about and I wanted it to get out there now. So that's how I started writing is I initially wanted to start this like fancy website and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to just start a, a WordPress blog. And I had just recently had like, when I was redeployed, I just had death after death after death. And it was like, when you are so familiar with the, the body bags and the, you know, you're putting a, a caution sign on them because they're COVID positive and their family are like, can't come in, or if they do, they have to quarantine or we can't extubate because then they're exposed. And then, then they have to quarantine. Like it was, it was horrible. And it was just like people in the third wave were just, who were in the ICU back in like April, May, they just dropped like flies. And I remember this one time there was this, this like, Oh, I don't want to get too into detail because I'll get in trouble, but there was someone from out of town. They came in That's and their, awful. their family was just like, do everything you can. And there is, and I, I wrote about this. So there is me and another nurse, two RTs, however many doctors, and we're just watching this, this patient. Right. And like, there's, there's just nothing you can do because you can't fix the lungs. There's lots of other things you can do for other organs. 
but but you just can't fix the lungs. <laughs> like, I mean, you can you can help them out a little bit, but you can't you can fix transplant them. one in a million times. Yeah, and like it, it just wasn't an option then. You know, things were closed, not as many car accidents. <laughs> like, sorry if it's dark too, but it's true. There's just there's no donors, and and even then, like I love it when you say dark shit. It's, yeah, it's, and it's real, and but COVID is through real. your whole body, and like. There was just nothing else we can do. And that was the weirdest part is we're, we're watching these monitors and as an ICU nurse, I can, I can fix a lot of stuff and I can't fix that. You can't fix O2 sats without giving oxygen and, and maybe like shifting some values and giving some met, but like there, there's not a lot to do. So this, this patient's family was like, do something, do something. And we were like, there's four of us watching this patient just die. And we're like, we're, we're actually doing everything that we can. Like they're on every single medication to keep their blood pressure up. They're on, uh, you know, we're paralyzing them so that they don't, what we call is buck the vent. So they're not breathing above the rate we've set for them. So we paralyze them. So none of their muscles move. They are horrifically sedated. Like we have knocked these people out. Like they're they're deep induced deep, deep. coma. Is the is the but like there's right? levels of that. There's levels. I of know that. that the way you're making it sound sounds horrible, but it's so common. <laughs> yeah, it is. induced coma, which means like as I sedated need to be as possible to do what I need to do. We need we need to control your body so that you don't breathe above the I level need we to need be to be a breathe. vegetable so that I can fix you. And we can't fix it. And then that's the problem is, is this was just happening so much. And then that, that, when he came out that this patient's family member and said, do something. And we were like, you have no idea what we're doing. Like there, there is 12 IV pumps. They're connected to him on the ventilator. And that's when I thought I need to get some awareness about people just think it's all bedpans and and, and, you know, like some blood work and it is so much more than that. And maybe I'm standing back and just watching cause I was, but I can't do anything else. And I've done everything that I can. And now we just have to see what happens. And, and that's when I started writing about it because it was just the quickest thing to do. And I shared it and I was like, oh, I'm going to share this publicly. And, you know, there's not a lot of people who will be interested and a lot of people were interested. And then as the summer went on and whatnot, I had gotten more into podcasts and, and they were very conversational podcasts that I listened to. I like that dialogue. And then I was like, yeah, as I still want to write a book one day and I still want to do that, but I want to like converse with people now. And then it just so happens that, you know, there's a looming election where all this is kind of relevant. And I was like, I got to do it. And I want to do it now. And Ryan was like, Oh shit, I got to figure this out. (laughs) So your husband, my husband. Yeah. So he like created it and, and I, I like did it. And because I connected with Nancy in Toronto, like she agreed to be my first guest, which was really great. She did it really quickly and we got it uploaded like right away. And that's kind of where it came from, but it, it was that specific time where I like we were doing a million complicated things, but to like the general public or or like a layman or whatever you want to call it, they they don't see that. They don't understand how complex it can be. And like that's kind of where beyond the bedpan came from. Mm-hmm. 
I don't want to gloss over, but I know we want to wrap this up so quickly. But it was this. You're so professional. You're really making yourself like you put yourself out there, make yourself vulnerable, even in an intense time of struggle um, for so many reasons that we've already kind of talked about. Like what happened? Like what was that? How did you push through that part of it? Because it's one thing to really want to go do it. But what like when you have so much else going on, like was there a light bulb moment other than that? Was there something that some sort of breakthrough mentally of who you were before this pandemic and where you are during now? I really want to take you and your question seriously, but you have a Detroit Red Wings behind you. I keep looking at it too. There's Detroit. And also a a Colorado Avalanche. It's a Patrick Waugh. Yeah. And then some fucking clock. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) It's a signed drum skin. Um, But I was just saying. A little bit. A little bit. No. A little bit. It's a, it's an intense time for you. Like, how did you? How are you managing to do this and be so open and vulnerable? It's it's important to realize that that's okay. You know, there's a lot of people and a lot of nurses in the profession will just shut it down and bury it and bury it and bury it until it just um, becomes unbearable. So showing that vulnerable side is, is okay. And people need to know that it's okay. And it also makes me a safe space too. I mean, right now the ICU has a peer support program. I'm not part of it because I don't work there. But if I if I did work there permanently, I I would love to be a part of it. And it's um it's people sharing their experiences and being there for other people who are having a hard time. And I think it's it's just an incredible program that they have going through right now. They're piloting it. And this is kind of my way of doing that. So like I definitely don't come across as anybody's therapist, but I'm normalizing talking about the hard parts of the job. I'm making it comfortable for other people to talk about it and come forward with it. And to me, it's, it's therapy. Like this is socializing to me. And this is, this is debriefing to me. And like Casey said before, like I'm kind of in an independent role in wound care where I don't, you know, really have a huge team. So to socialize and podcast and interview other people in the nursing profession, it's, it's really therapeutic for me, you know, we can, we can debrief our our issues. And when we talk about like other stuff going on, for you, it's also therapeutic for the listener. I know, I know you, I do not listen as somebody who knows you. I listen as a listener. I listen as a podcast fan. When I listen to people I don't know, when I listen to you guys, when I listen to all of every fucking podcaster who opens up because people who do this don't just do it for like clout. They do it because they want to show something. You guys fucking make a difference. You make me like clap in my car. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, what he said. Or that's the, say it for another one of the people in the back. Like when you guys go off on something, it is so important. It is so like giving me a voice when I'm in my car and I'm somebody who doesn't want to speak to my manager because I can't do confrontation. Like you are doing the work, like you're doing the work. See, and I would rather you clap in your car and be happy because you heard something that's relatable than like 
cry or dread going to work. You know, like I, I want we, to be relatable. We can do both. We yeah. can, <laughs> we can do both. I want to be relatable. And like when I would share my, my parenting content, that's a lot of the feedback I got too, is this is really relatable and it's honest and it's real. And you know, that's where I started. Liam video of that fucking Liam video, man. What's one thing you hate that everybody else loves or something? I, I got so funny. many, I got so many like mom shaming no, comments on that I, one. I think that's why we became friends. Because of that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I hate your kid too. I love him. <laughs> I hate him. It's but, so but yeah, funny. The stuff's just, it's just relatable. And I think it, it, it inspires other people to be able to speak up and it, it gives them gives them some confidence and, and gives them, I don't know, just, just someone well, to relate to. <laughs> this is, this is where I wanted to end it because of all the things we talked about and we went into an incredible amount of fun, little tangent, which is <laughs> really did. great, but <laughs> your, your podcast, your, your mommy blogging, your, like all the aspects that make you who you are. If we really want the audience to know who you are it's that you're real and it's that you're honest yeah all those things we talked about that's the commonality that's the theme so if you really want to know christy you need to know that she's honest and she's real and she's She's just gonna she's gonna give me she's just gonna give you straight up this is what's happening it's a straight shooter there's no bullshit she's you at your fucking worst she's you at your fucking best oh man you guys are the best thanks for doing this Thanks for having me. I thought it was fun. Yeah, I know I had I'm resting here. bitch face, but I have no idea why I'm here. But it was your idea. Throw y'all off. Yeah, I had questions. I had, I had why didn't you ask any? Well, because I'm drunk. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> and and I have ADHD that is undiagnosed, but TikTok <laughs> diagnosed me. So I'm ready. <laughs> All right, guys, this is too long. Say goodbye. I love you. Love you too.